Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. I'm currently on a book tour around the United States and hope to see you. Find the schedule of my events at warisalie.org. It is my great privilege to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week my friend Sam Husseini. He is the Communications Director of the Institute for Public Accuracy, whom I have to thank for having found and promoted many of my previous guests on this program. Husseini wrote an article titled, Catherine Gunn's Risky Truth-Telling, which you should read. It is about a British official, you may remember, who crucially leaked evidence of NSA spying against UN officials during the build-up to the 2003 invasion of Iraq. The Intercept has now published copies of the NSA's internal newsletter that fit into this story. Sam Husseini, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Great to be with you, David. Uh, great to hear your voice. And uh, for those who never heard it or have uh, forgotten since 2003 or so, uh, who was Catherine Gunn? What did she do? What did she tell us? She, she was a translator for the GCHQ, which is the British equivalent of the NSA. Uh, she translated it you know, into Mandarin Chinese. And she got a memo um, during the, in early... Uh, 2003, before the invasion of Iraq uh, from an official at the NSA, saying, hey, everybody, we at the NSA and our partners like you are spiking up our surveillance of Security Council members, including at the UN. So please, have, let's have a surge of activity that we can use to uh, gain a, a position of advantage, I think is the term that he used, in order to... Uh, have a positive outcome uh, regarding the uh, uh, deliberations at the UN. And what he was basically saying was, let's get information that we can use to coerce other members of the Security Council, so that they, uh, so that we can pressure them into going along with the Iraq War. That, that is for for purposes of blackmail, or just for blackmail. purposes of threats and bribes, or we don't exactly. know. Exactly. I mean, it could it could be anything from, uh, hey, buddy, we, we know that you're having an affair. Wouldn't it be a shame if your wife found out about it? To, oh, hey, th- this country is trying to make a move to get all these other countries to not go along with our resolution. How do we cut them off at the knees? I mean, it could be a whole variety of things. There, there, um, there were always suspicions, Sam, that, that the NSA and the Bush White House was doing the same to Congress members, but we never... We never had a whistleblower really give that to us, did we? Uh, no, not that, not to my knowledge. Uh, yeah. that's, that's a very good point. And this is very rare. I mean, you know, people should understand what a whistleblower means. It's, you know, somebody on the inside who's on the payroll, <laughs> who's on their team, decides that they can't take any more. And, 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 and they're going to blow the whistle. But Catherine, Catherine Gunn, before this, she saw this memo, didn't realized that her government or the U.S. government was spying on other government's diplomats and then using that information for pressure? She she wasn't aware of that and considered it uh, immoral and illegal? I don't know how much she was aware of it. Um, she dealt with the Chinese primarily, and this was a particularly onerous activity. Uh, I mean, I mean, the line from the NSA and from the U.S. government is, we're spying for your protection to get this to get the terrorists. Right. Here, it, 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 it's, it's a totally brazen, they are spying at the UN, which is illegal, uh, that violates treaties, and 
they're doing it in order to ram through a war, which uh, I think it's fairly, you know, a, a fair amount of people thought it was fairly clear that it was, A, an aggressive war, which means that it's illegal, and B, um, uh, that it would destabilize, and uh, as we've seen in the intermediate years, um, uh, you know, actually, you know, threaten uh, publics in Britain and the U.S. and so on. So, so, um, so what so, did Catherine Gunn do when she saw this uh, she, thing? She leaked it. I believe it went through some activists in England, actually. Um, I, I don't know all of the details, but it ended up at the British Observer uh, newspaper there. They published it, and it made headlines all around the world, especially in the countries that were on the Security Council uh, at the time. And uh, there was no resolution. Uh, there was no second UN resolution, um, uh, you know, giving the okay for the U.S. invasion. The U.S. had gotten one resolution in November of 2002, and John Negroponte, the U.S. ambassador to the U.N., said that there would be a second resolution. He said this is a two-step process. And George W. Bush said that, uh, as he I recall. Felt- he may well have. I, you're but, but, probably right. But that first resolution didn't, you know, authorize a war. I mean, no, this was why they wanted it, a second one, a, a different one that it actually would exactly. authorize a war, right? Exactly. And people might remember, you know, the war didn't. Be, the war began by George W. Bush um, saying, "Saddam, you got 48 hours to, you know, to clear yourself and your family out of Baghdad." And then they actually put out a statement saying, even if he did clear out of Baghdad, we'd still invade. Yeah, um, because the president... So it had nothing to do in the end with the, 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 the pretext of WMDs and all of this. The, the president of Spain later told newspapers that he'd met with Bush, and Bush had told him that Hussein had offered to leave the country if he could keep a billion dollars, and that Bush, of course, was you know not going to go for that. Uh, so uh, if that was true, uh, the possibility of having... Saddam Hussein leave uh, for a much lesser expense than what the war cost uh, was sitting was sitting on the table, right? Right. So right, no, yeah. so no wonder he said, even if you do and, leave, we're bombing you anyway. <laughs> right, and you know, and that's you know, if it, I assume that story is true, if it is true, I mean, that's just an opening gambit from <laughs> Saddam. You know, they could have got, you know, I'm sure they could have gotten him down to okay, you'll leave and we won't kill you. <laughs> right, or 300,000. In any case, what's a billion dollars compared yeah, to the yeah. trillions and a nation destroyed? Uh, so, I, you know, I know Catherine Gunn uh, has, I've communicated with her a little bit, and I've, I've uh, watched videos of her speaking at panels, and I know that she's uh, totally against war, at least now, and presumably was even then. Uh, was Was her motivation to prevent the war, I mean, it seems like most whistleblowers blow the whistle when it doesn't matter anymore, when it's sort of for the historians. She's like actually the rare example of that model whistleblower who acted when it mattered, when it could have made a difference and, and did make a difference in terms of making the war have to be illegal. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, that, I mean, Ellsberg's called this the most important leak of all time. Really, um, and and it's yeah, and it and it's incredibly short. You know, it's three, you know in this age of you know WikiLeaks and the Intercept putting out these massive databases and everything, it's three hundred words. The, the power of it was in its timeliness that it blew the whistle on illegal activities uh, before the war started, and it, it could have really tripped them up. The the the, the, the uh, British Observer reporter got booked on all of these U.S. shows. 
yeah. um, the TV shows and got canceled at the last minute. I mean, that, that indicates that. By you know, the White House, presumably? Or? Yeah, that indicates that, 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 that a memo went out, you know, that something went out saying, you can't have this guy on, or you, 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 know, you need to really think twice about having this guy on at this point. So, um, uh, so uh, you know, th- that story got virtually blacked out in the U.S. media. We, 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 you know, at the Institute for Public Accuracy, we put out a whole series of news releases. Um, on it, but uh, virtually no coverage in the U.S. at the time. <laughs> so this should have been in the news back then, and it's in the news now, or in a better world, should be in the news now, because right. some documents have been published by The Intercept. What what are those, and what do they add to they, the story? They, they published, and the New York Times reported on um, some of them. Um, uh, they're basically docu- they're the internal newsletter of the NSA. Um, and it's what what they published, or you know, part of what they published so far is them basically high fiving each other, because John Negroponte, the U.S. ambassador to the UN, um, you know, uh, you know, lauded their work, uh, you know, for spying <laughs> at the UN um, uh, in helping him, uh, you know, uh, push the case for war. Um, so you know, it's what what's being published now is their internal. Yay, we're so great. We helped the U.S. ambassador push the Iraq War uh, on onto the world, or try to. Yeah. Um, uh, it was very subtle, but the, the Intercept actually made some mistakes in some of its reporting on this. For example, they claimed um, they, they referred to UN resolutions at the time, and there were no U.N. resolutions at the time. As we've just said, there was only one. Uh, there, there were resolutions after the war started. But before the war, in, in the intervening period, you know, let's say the, the, the six months prior, there was only one resolution, and that's part of the point. Mm-hmm. Catherine Gunn's blowing the whistle what, what was a significant factor, if not a determining factor, in preventing a second U.N. resolution that would have given international cover uh, to, to this war. Yeah. Sam Husseini, uh, Communications Director at IPA Institute for Public Accuracy. I, I wonder how much credit you give Catherine Gunn's leak in terms of preventing uh, the UN and, and its national components from supporting the legalization of the war, uh, and how much credit, if any, you give to uh, what in today's terms was a huge peace movement around the world and in the United States, the single biggest day of, of street protest action in world history on February 15th, 03, and so forth, and whether the two fed into each other at all. Was, was Catherine... I, 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 you you might have had more communication with her than I did, but I I, I, I never asked her directly. But the timeline of I, I believe that she leaked the document shortly after the February fifteenth global protests. Right. So they may, they may well have inspired her to act. Um, you know, seeing this groundswell of support. I mean, there were a million people on the streets of New York. There were a million people. I think two million on the streets yeah. of London, that, three yeah, million yeah. in 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 Rome, um, and so on and so forth. Um, so I believe that you know what you're inferring here is that they that you know they went hand in hand, um, and uh, I mean you, you, what you said before I think it's right, David. That, that there's all it's always a chicken and egg thing about a whistleblower because if they're on the inside, you know they 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 probably had you know some 
activity. I mean, Gunn is a little unique in that she's fairly young. You know, I think when all of this happened, she was 28. Right, right. Um, Most whistleblowers right. you're asking, well, now what about those 36 wars that you sat through and then right. you resigned right. for this one? <laughs> right. You know, you're right. trying to figure right. that out in right. your mind. Right. With her, she didn't go through too many. Like, she didn't, right. she wasn't part of that many wars before right. this. Um, right. What, what sliver of the U.S. public knows anything about this story? Yeah, no, I mean, very little. And, um, you know, uh, you know what, what, what's remarkable about it is, is that even in the community that follows leaks and so on, this, this case is very rarely acknowledged, even though it, 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 it is such an emblematic case. Of, of the potential power of whistleblowing, um, and and it's just understandable, you know. Yeah, um, it, it's a it's a it's a short document, um, um, and um, uh, so yeah, it, it has never significantly gotten out. I mean, there was a reporting they tried to prosecute her under the British Official Secrets Act, right? Um, you know, like in two thousand four or something like that, um, and. Uh, uh, they 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 uh, they they didn't. Uh, they, they backed off. I think that they feared a trial uh, because of what would come out in terms of what they knew. <laughs> didn't yeah. know um, In the course of things. Um, what, so. what about accountability on the side where it's actually merited uh, on the, the right. NSA and those involved? Has there been any sort of consequence uh, to them? No, no. There, there's been absolutely no consequence to them, and of course not to the general warmakers. I mean, it, virtually everybody who went along with the war, whether it's Kerry or Clinton, and of course the Bush administration themselves, has um, falsified, you know, their own records uh, in terms of why what they did when they did, why they did it, to the extent that they've been scrutinized at all. Right. Um, I mean, you know. Um, Kerry said that, oh, uh, I, I voted for Bush to have authorization in the moment that he uh, misused it. I objected. Uh, that, that's just a total lie. Kerry yeah. um, didn't say anything when Bush went into went into Iraq, except late that year he started saying that Bush might, uh, he, he was afraid that Bush would cut and run. He wasn't pursuing the war fervently enough. He was, he was, um, he was and, against and the war in the same way that Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump were against the war. Not at all. <laughs> Not at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, Trump's, you know, got, got, you know, who the hell knows about Trump? But well, you uh, could but, go back and watch the videos. At the time, yeah, he was in favor yeah, yeah. of the war. Now he yeah. says he was against the war. You know, <laughs> right, uh, right, um, right, right. Which, which is, isn't terribly dissimilar. You're right. It's not dissimilar from. Uh, Gary and Clinton and, and, and so on. Except that and there even were... Bush, for that matter. Even, I mean, Bush, uh, you know, a couple of years ago when questioned, said, oh, well, you know, if only Saddam had cooperated with the weapons inspectors. Again, just totally falsifying uh, how the war actually started. Yes. Uh, Iraq was cooperating. Of course, and and offering total inspection of the entire country by the U.S. military, and no, right. we want a war. War war be better. Um, right. So, uh, you, you're you're moving uh, to the topic of elections, uh, and yeah. I know you wanted to mention this project that you're working on called Vote Pact, uh, which you've proposed uh, to, as as I understand it, not tremendous success in a number of election cycles now. What is what is the idea of Vote Pact? Sure. Um, it's basically based on the observation that you have a lot of people who um, feel like they 
say in this election, you know, uh, I, I don't want Clinton, but I feel like I got to vote for her because I really don't want Trump. And a lot of people on the other side of that saying, I don't want Trump, but I totally despise Clinton. So I'm going to have to suck it up and vote for Trump. Now, a lot of people, of course, have broken free of the system. They, they, you know, they've said, no, they're both distasteful. <laughs> they're both, um, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't want either of them. Um, so I'm going to vote for the, you know, independent or third party candidate uh, that, that I most believe in, whether it's green or libertarian or peace and freedom or, or whatever. Right. Um, so, um, but th- th- this is for the people who might not be there um, quite yet. Um, and what it allows is for, you know, if you, if you know somebody, know and trust somebody, a relative, a coworker, a debating partner, um, whatever, on the other side of the two-party divide, then you both vote for the third parties of your choice. That way you're siphoning off votes in pairs uh-huh. from Clinton and Trump. Um, you know, uh, it, it, it has the potential to, you know, shoot up, you know, you know kind of exponentially. Because if, you know, if people start doing this, then, then they, you know, third-party candidates start registering on the polls, which themselves are skewed, we can get into that too, then it, it, it builds up. It, it's, it's a winning strategy. Um, you know, a lot of strategies, you know, like vote swapping, which, which you know, says, you know, a swing voter in a, a, a voter in a swing state to swap votes with a voter in a so-called safe state, that, that kind of thing. None of th- those aren't winning strategies. Those are strategies that attempt to mitigate the quote-unquote damage but, of third-party run. But any, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I guess one explanation for why it hasn't taken off uh, is, you know, the same reason that nobody knows about Catherine Gunn. You and I don't right. own a television network, uh, and, you know, you, you have to have a massive communication system to repeat something over and over again to get the American public to hear it. Uh, but I, I would suspect that it also hasn't taken off because most supporters of political candidates for office, especially the U.S. president, are nowhere near that rational. Uh, and once they start supporting someone, even if they sort of think of it as lesser evilism, they start blanking out any news about their faults and start exaggerating their uh, positive uh, aspects uh, and become sort of cheerleaders for their positions, uh, which lasts, you know, throughout the year, beyond the election. Uh, they become cheerleaders for one party or the other uh, at the expense of reality and fact and rationality is out the window and and once you you know once you start to introduce rationality then it gets really complicated because what if my friend on the other side of the divide is in a swing state where it might matter and I'm not you know is then is it a fair trade uh, and what if I've reached the point where I'm ready to say you know lesser evilism is giving us a 
more evil pair each and every time. This is not sustainable. It's gone too far already. And I see both of these characters as exactly equally evil. I could never vote for Hillary or Trump. Uh, then, you know, I, then I'm not in a position where I can imagine myself in either the Hillary or the Trump camp in order to make a trade with the other side. Because I, I, I could never stand to put myself in either of those camps. Yeah, look, if somebody has reached that point, then they don't need vote pact. They they can tell other people about it who are, you know, nagging them (laughs) about how can you, you know, how how can you vote for a third party when it might help that, you know, Trump win? Come on. Um, Then you can say, well, no, I'm I'm free and you can be too if you you use this thing. Um, I think you, you do have a point about there, there could be unequal trades. Uh, you know, a vote in Ohio is not equal necessarily to a vote in New York in our system. Right. Um, so it does work best if people do it in the same state. Uh, but that's a, you know, that's a relatively easy thing to do. Um, uh, you know, because you know people tend to, you know, not always certainly tend to be in the same state as somebody they know and trust and yeah. you know talk about these things but with. but most people don't um, talk about the election they avoid it it's like a topic that if you bring up somebody's going to scream at you so there could be people who silently are willing to do vote pact oh that's a nice <laughs> idea my brother and I'll do that he won't vote for Hillary I won't vote for Trump we'll both go vote for decent people in our view of things but they would never put their names on a website and say hey we're part of this growing trend of vote pact because they don't want to you know be public about something that's so toxic in 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 our conversation um i don't know um i mean it's my fear that people you know don't bring up this kind of uh, what i would consider real strategic voting with their political opposite number because they're so used to avoiding even talking about it with their brother. That too, yeah, that too. Um, You know, so, I mean, the the system has sort of built up all of these impediments towards people really talking about it because, as you say, it sort of forces people to become pundits. You know, you you become spectators and rooting for your team um, and and so on. Um, And Vote Pact is attempting to 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 undermine that to to help foster dialogue between you know people who might consider themselves it, so uh, what's, you know leading republican others leading so, democrats so what's the website help. if people want to do it and can they click and say i'm doing it anonymously um i you know the the the, the website is votepact.org and people can you know email me and you know if you know i'm i'm I'd be very interested in, you know, publishing pieces either, and I, I'd never thought of it, but I'd, I'd, you know, be open to publishing anonymous pieces, especially if they come from pairs of people. But can people just you know, click the, a, bu- a button, or do they have to write an essay? No, they, 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 they I mean, we're, we're, we're not actively attempting, I mean, there's a Facebook community yeah. uh, that's, you know, that, that, that's linked in with the face, with the, with the webpage. Um, but we're not attempting to link people up because, because of the trust issue is central to this, right? Oh, for sure. Uh, but I meant just to keep account of how many pairs of people are doing it. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not attempting to keep to keep account. Oh, but I, I guess okay. we, that, that's a good suggestion. We could do that. We um, could definitely do that. 
Yeah, might be a good idea. We've got just a few minutes left, Sam, and I really wanted to help, uh, to ask you uh, about uh, something you wrote just last week called Layers of Islamophobia. Representative Ellison says he's unaware of Clinton having returned Muslim money. I, I bet a lot of people are unaware of that. What is, what is, what is that about? Yeah, I don't expect the average person I to be o- o- aware of it, but it's kind of remarkable that the first Muslim member of Congress was unaware of it. Yeah, I mean, over, it, it, over $10 million from Saudi Arabia into her family foundation, most people aren't aware of, of all the Muslim money she is getting, right? Well, yeah, and I mean, that's, you know, from a foreign country as opposed to the money that she returned in 2000, <laughs> which was from U.S., you know, people in the U.S., I mean, not to be xenophobic about it, but, I mean, it just happened to be Arabs and Muslims, and she returned the money into, in, mm. in her, you know, when she ran for the Senate. Why did she um, do that? Uh, I don't, I, I'm not in Clinton's head. I'm not sure why she did it. The New York Times said that it was because she didn't want to lose Jew, quote-unquote Jewish support. Um, I don't know that that's But, but there was a controversy in the news about it that she caved into. Right, yeah. I mean, there, 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 there was a, it seems a concerted effort you know, by Islamophobes to, to slam that and, and, to, uh, and, to, and to taint that, and then she ended up just folding, and she even refused to meet with... Um, with the Arab and Muslim um, folks involved, um, you know, and I mean, it was interesting. I, I was at the, uh, I wrote that after I was at the news conference with Ellison and uh, uh, Carson, the two current um, uh, Muslim members of Congress, and uh, you know, um, it, it was kind of frustrating because they, you know, they talk about Islamophobia and they talk about Trump and Cruz and uh, a bunch of other Republicans and so on, but th- there's virtually no. Um, sense of critique of U.S. foreign policy um, uh, as to what, what the U.S. might be doing that might engender um, anger in, in Muslim countries. It's, it's almost a sense of, I got mine. You know, we, you know we're Muslim Americans, and we want to you know, have a seat at the table, yeah. um, and we don't want to be discriminated against. And that, that's the end of it, as if, that, you, know, that, you know, that they might have some knowledge or a greater degree of empathy. I mean, it shouldn't be. I mean, everybody should empathize with everybody, um, uh, with Muslims and the fact that the U.S. has bombed um, Muslim country after Muslim country with devastating results, and um, certainly in Iraq and Libya and so on. Um, You know, there was no sense of that um, in in how they discuss things, and, and they sort of get into, you know, why that is. Um, and, and how we can, you know, sort of break out of that so that it's not just, you know, just, you know, diversity for the nominal sake of it, but, you know, a diversity that actually helps, you know, change policy and create a more peaceful world. I, I was a fan of Representative Keith Ellison when he was a state legislator in Minnesota and pushing through a resolution in support of impeaching George W. Bush over launching a war and so forth. He got to Washington and I asked him, do you want to impeach Bush? And he said, oh, no, I wouldn't want to do anything like that. Uh, and now he's pushing for wars in Syria and Libya and so on. It, it seems like the basic trajectory of any Christian or Jew or atheist in Congress. You, know, you, <laughs> you, you get there and you abandon what got you there. Um, yeah, and it, it was funny um, in their response to my question that they um, they, they cited uh, you know you know of, you know officials around Clinton who are Muslims 
Uh, one of them is totally hilarious. I didn't know this person. I'm blanking out her name just now. We have like uh, 30 people. seconds soon. Yeah, uh, anyway, she ended up being, uh, an, uh, you know, re- reporting to Elliot Abrams at the Bush um, uh, National Security Council. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, she, 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 she was, you know, working for the, you know, a, a leading warmonger. Um, so, you know. It's yeah, also, and you know, another uh, one in Hillary Clinton. Uh, right, 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 the, right, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sam, Sam Husseini, uh, the Institute for Public Accuracy. Check it out if you do not get their emails and are not aware of their work. Uh, and votepact.org. Uh, and check out Sam's work on his blog. We'll have all the links up at talknationradio.org. Sam, thanks for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Great talking with you, David. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. I'm traveling around the United States right now doing events with my new book, War is a Lie, second edition. I hope to see you. Find the schedule of events at warisalie.org. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.